0: Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Blessed are you. That's the title of today, and I'm excited because that's some good news. I like to be blessed. I don't know about you. But blessed are you, and it's going to come out of a passage in Luke 6. And I'm excited. If you've never read the Gospel of Luke, don't worry. We're gonna dive in and unpack that together. We're gonna find out what it means. But I think a really cool thing that's helpful as we're about to dive into this passage is the way the ESV Study Bible describes it. It gives us a really good 50,000 foot view, if you will, that helps us understand like the big picture. I don't know about you guys. I'm big picture. It helps me understand all the details. And so it says it like this. This is what we're about to read in just a moment. Um, It says that Jesus in this passage is expanding, expounding upon the reality of discipleship, lived in the presence and power of the kingdom of God, but within the everyday world. And I think that sounds like all of our situations, we're, we're here today and we're seeking to live in the presence and the power of God, but we know that there's an everyday world. We know that there's a world outside these doors. And so as we dive in, it's going to show us how we get to do that. Um, and right before we dive into this passage, I don't know if any of you guys remember. Could you give me a wave if you remember when we had Pastor Nathan Finocchio um, preaching here a little while ago? Amazing. Um, well, he told a really funny story. And it was about his three-year-old niece, Georgie. It was a story of she loves dresses, love when they swirl. And what she would do is she would put on dresses, but and when she would twirl, if they didn't swirl the right way, she would throw an absolute tantrum. Like she would throw a fish, she would be so angry, it would be hard to calm her down, and everyone in the room was laughing until Nathan pointed out that sometimes we're Georgie, and sometimes we're the Georgie when God doesn't swirl the way we want it to swirl or when life doesn't go the way that we want it to go. And it was all fun and games. But, but the good news today is since Nathan already did that, I ain't got to do it, but I do get to bring the good news um, of how to encourage and strengthen us to respond to God with trust and loyalty when life indeed doesn't go the way we expect or blessings even. Not even, um, they don't swirl, they actually go sideways. And, you're like, what just happened? That's what we're going to get to today. And so, starting in Luke 6, we find ourselves at verse 17. I'm going to read this for us as it comes on the screen. It says, And he came down with them, this is Jesus, and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you, again, is the title of our message. And I want us to take a moment to dive into this chapter a little bit and pick up some important details because how many know as it's true with the scriptures as it is with every area of life, until we have the right context for something, it's hard to approach it properly or to apply it or to have a conversation about it. All the people who have fights with friends maybe know or anything like that, but we know that context matters. And so as we dive in, there's two details that I wanna bring to our attention. And the first detail that we're looking at is the ordering. Um, our passage in Luke six follows chapter five in which Jesus called each of the disciples to follow him and commit their lives to his message. And so what that simply means is there were different moments in chapter five where Jesus approached each man that was gonna be one of his disciples and gave them that invitation and called them to him. And then here, um, what happens is in chapter six, Jesus is equipping the disciples. He's equipping them with this passage that's actually gonna inform identity and build their faith and give them courage. But Luke 6, it also happens before Jesus sends them out into the towns to preach in chapter nine. And so that's an interesting thing, right? We find that they were called, they were called in five, they were sent in nine, but they were equipped in six. And that detail teaches us the context that this word should have authority over our lives because as each of us, as we give our lives to Jesus, are called and sent, we ain't gonna do very well when we sent if we're not equipped. And so we're gonna lean into this word and give it the authority because I wanna be a person who gets, to be, um, who gets to receive the glorious equipping of Jesus in the same way the disciples did. And the second detail we find was that yes, Jer- Jesus was surrounded by a crowd, right? In those first few verses, we see the crowd. And so we know that Jesus is both trying to speak to the crowd and call them to him in the same way that he did the disciples. However, Luke 620 Luke 6, distinctly begins with this. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said. And that tells us that though there was a crowd around, what he's about to say was spoken in the context of discipleship, which simply means a relationship with God, a relationship where you're devoted to the father. And that establishes that the context, again, for the Beatitudes are based on relationship. They're not based on the circumstances that Jesus is about to be talking about. And so on the surface, the Beatitudes look like Jesus is proclaiming a blessing on, let's be honest, undesirable circumstances, right? Blessed are you who weep, blessed are you who are poor. And so it might look like on the surface that he's proclaiming this blessing over those circumstances. But this context reveals that his proclamation is not over those things, but in how the quality of our faith in God has the power to transform any circumstance into a blessing upon our relationship with God when we let it. And so today, what I'm putting forward is the truth that our Christian faith is not merely a remedy that keeps our lives neat and tidy and protects our happiness. No, what I'm putting forward today is that our Christian faith is a rugged power which produces peace in all circumstances and strengthens us to apply the truths that we find in the Bible. When many, and it's, it's crazy, but when many people are fleeing the faith today out of offense, out of bitterness or out of discouragement because they don't have appropriate scripture-based expectations of God and of the life that he called them to, today that poses the question for us is how do we not let our faith get shipwrecked by every single undesirable or unexpected situation? The great news is that God knows our need and he actually teaches us how to do this in his word. He brings it to us and this is the other beautiful thing is that for every ounce of strength or ounce of strength that we spend searching or seeking or wondering God has already spent his every ounce for our rescue we might spend one ounce God has spent himself which is what pastor Joe was talking about as he talked about the good news of Jesus that God spent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made right with God and so that encourages us that as we spend our strength to do this we already know that God has met us in that place. And so the way that we build a character that endures even when life doesn't go our way, right? And when blessings, instead of swirling, go sideways, is by getting really good at these three things. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pull out that notebook, pull out that pencil, pull out that note app on your phone, because these are gonna be good. And I'm gonna say them real quick, and then we'll get into the first one. These three things are this. We align with God's definition of blessed, we step out of the crowd and become a disciple and we shift our focus from future relief to the present power of God. And so let's start with the base. The first way that we develop a faith of rugged power is by aligning ourselves with God's definition of being blessed. Why is that important? It's important because if we will never actually submit to someone that we don't agree with and would rather argue with and refuse to submit to, and so acknowledging Jesus' words as authoritative, right, and acknowledging that Jesus' definition is correct is actually the tried and true precursor for growing as a disciple and maturing and deepening in our devotion to God. You know, one translation of the New Testament has 112 references with the words bless, blessing, or bless, but get this none of those references connects blessing to a material um, possession. It's not material prosperity. In fact, the ESV study Bible, again, in response to our exact passage, sheds light that. To be blessed is more than a temporary or circumstantial feeling of happiness. This is a state of well-being in relationship to God that belongs to those who respond to Jesus' ministry. In the New Testament, we do not find any reference to material prosperity nor credit to perfect circumstances that qualify us as being blessed. What we do find is that the state of being blessed is connected to the spiritual growth and benefits that you and I reap when we choose to sow resolve and loyalty into our faith in Jesus in the very midst of what the world would deem undesirable circumstances. The Greek word translated blessed in these passages is, and I wrote this out, so bear with me, um, The Greek word translated as blessed in these passages is makarios, meaning to be fully satisfied or to possess a joy completely independent of the changes and challenges of life. So if Jesus is declaring this passage, right, blessed are you, blessed are you. If he's declaring this very state over his disciples across a multitude of circumstances, we've got to hear him as he's equipping the disciples with this truth. Anything you face in life, has the potential to become a blessing when you allow it to propel you towards God in trust, humility, and faith. Think of any temporal thing that we can have in this life. Relationships, money, position, possessions. The meaning deduced in these passages is this. Blessing is your relationship with God in the midst of the thing or in the midst of not having the thing. We are neither more blessed or less blessed because of our relationship to the thing. We are blessed only if we have God and God has us. And that's good news because God wants a relationship with you. So who in the room, and this is where we're gonna be honest, who in the room, and I'm raising my hand with you, who in the room has ever prayed for something good and then it winds up disrupting or bringing friction into your life? Woo! I love an honest church. Keep your hands raised. We're going to see who's really honest. Keep your hand raised if you can admit you were a little peeved when that happened, right? Thank you. A little off-put, right? Do you remember the blessing of a relationship or a friendship only to then get a little bit annoyed that it revealed your level of selfishness? Maybe for some of you, it's the blessing of chi- I'm sorry, I love y'all, I promise I'm preaching to myself. Um, maybe, maybe it's the blessing of children and family, but that also comes with the very realistic exasperation because I know y'all don't sleep. And I honestly, I look at our pastors who have a lot of young kids and I'm amazed that you remember lyrics to a song. I don't think that I could, right? But it's a blessing of children and it's beautiful, but it also calls you to rely on God more than you ever have before. And sometimes that gets under our skin. For many of us, it's been the blessing of a promotion that turns our gratitude for the favor of God into resentment towards the higher demand, the increased expectations, and the need to learn new skills. See, if I can be honest, this has been a huge source of frustration in my own life. There have been good things that I've been gifted by God, and maybe you can relate, and I know we can because, you know, we had all them hands raised, that in the beginning seemed wonderful, up until the moment that what we thought was going to make our life easier and protect our happiness positions us for either hard work or heart work. Hard work is when we're called higher by God, and we're gifted with something that requires us to apply some muscle. Think investing time and energy, admitting we're not good at something and committing to learning how to get good or learning how to steward it properly. Heart work, on the other hand, is when we're called deeper and covered by God to go through something that requires us to give him permission to lead and to heal. Think the refining of our character Think learning to trust him more and more with the things that it's easier to hold on to. And I'm sure if I gave us a fill in the blank card, right, we could all write down an instance in our life when we've seen God bring something that requires hard work or heart work. You know, if I'm honest on that card, I'll be writing marriage in big bold letters. (laughs) i would be writing that, And (laughs) and it's beautiful. I got to marry the man of my dreams who is also my best friend, which is even better. And it's so, yeah, where, where that man at? Oh, I don't know. He's probably editing photos because he's shooting today. We love a man who serves. <laughs> um, and it, it's been a great invitation, honestly, into heart work because when you see in scriptures that marriage before God is truly two people becoming one, what I've learned is that does not disclude my mood swings. Ooh. Yep. I would ooh on my behalf for the no. Um, right? Two became one, and that didn't exclude my mood swings. And my need to develop my character, to control my emotions, to direct my thought patterns, to take captive my thoughts like the Bible describes, and to steer my heart in like the examples that we always see from David has never been more glaringly apparent than in marriage. And it's beautiful because I can stand here before you today and thank God for the pastors of this church because they've loved me enough to call this out over the years when they've seen it instead of shying away. But the unfortunate or fortunate thing is that none, of all of those times are still only an echo of marriage because that relationship is distinct, right? It's two becoming one. And so if Josh and I are one and this man knows me, he knows if I'm off by a millimeter, it's insane and annoying sometimes, but I thank God for it. And it's painful, right? Because it draws my things to the surface, but it's painful because I see it cause him pain. And so marriage is a blessing, but it's called me into this place of heart work. And I tell you what, it's so easy to get upset and annoyed and to resent him or to resent God in that moment. But it is so much better and so much more rewarding when I lean into the heart work and I throw myself at the feet of Jesus, and I ask the Holy Spirit to transform my character and to prune out the things that harm other people and hurt other people, right? It's easy. And I'm just trying to be honest with you guys today so that you feel encouraged to take an honest look as well. It's easy to respond this way, but it is so much more rewarding to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus to receive his mercy and his grace. And so if this is this hard work and this heart work, right, is what Christianity involves, yet we can often find ourselves upset or bitter or frustrated or resentful because of the hard work and heart work we're forced to face when blessings don't do all that I want them to, what do we do? How do we reconcile that with God? How do we move forward? Well, what we do is we look at his word, see what his truth is get honest about what our truth is, find where the discrepancies are, and then submit ourselves to his truth. And so this is where we're gonna bring back in that main passage, and we're gonna look at that today. We're gonna find out those truths and get free. Luke 6, 20 through 23 again said, and he lifted up his eyes on his what? To find the truth in this, we have to recall and go back to that second piece of context that we talked about, which is that Jesus spoke the Beatitudes in the context of discipleship and relationship with God. So when Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, what he's saying is, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, poor in material things, and my disciple, for thus you are trusting in God in the midst of that circumstance. This is so different. When your circumstance, um, whatever your circumstance is, Jesus' words to you and all of us today are, blessed are you who are, insert your circumstance, because you've chosen to trust me and to get to walk hand in hand with me and receive a heart that is guarded by peace, because you know where your faith lies. And this is where we face the tension of our truth and God's truth. See, our truth, and I'll just put myself, my truth is often my circumstances, my happiness, my ability to get ahead and get where I want to go is what determines my blessedness. But God's truth is always the rightness of, what of your relationship with me is what determines your blessedness. And it's only by aligning ourselves with God's truth that we guard our faith from being shipwrecked by every uncomfortable and undesirable and unexpected situation. Because it's when that circumstance comes, we instead look at it and get downcast and despair, and we look at him and be like, cool, where's the opportunity? How am I gonna see God move to bring me closer to him? How am I gonna see God move to break off a generational curse in my family? How am I, how am I gonna see God move to bring me into a place of freedom in an area I never thought I could get free? There are so many things that would be easier to go to that are tinged with disappointment, and while they might be true, there is a greater truth. That God is always present and working and again we just going to preach for a second Luke 11:28 he says this but He said, blessed rather are those who hear the words of God and keep it. James 1, 12 said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's take it Old Testament. Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom against the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. These things qualify a blessing. Blessed is the man who is forgiven. Blessed is the man who stands steadfast. Blessed is the man who hears the word and keeps it. Because all of those things deepen our relationship with God. This, these are the things that qualify our blessing. And when we look at this passage again, the second way that we're gonna learn how to develop a faith of rugged power is by stepping out of that crowd to become a disciple. Remember, there was a crowd that was gathered around Jesus, right, because that text said that they were being cured, that power was coming out of him, that he was healing. But the thing is, the commentary, it's so interesting, the commentary juxtaposes a crowd, and it um, juxtaposes the two audiences, the crowd and the disciples like this. It says, disciples are those who had made a commitment to Jesus as Messiah, and crowds are those who are curious and often astounded by Jesus' teaching and ministry, yet for the most part remain neutral and uncommitted. And commitment to Jesus as Lord is the difference between the crowd and a disciple. And commitment is defined as the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause, activity, etc. It's an engagement or obligation that restricts our freedom of action. And I love it because to put it in the words of Peter, to ground this biblically, at a moment in the Bible when a crowd literally walks away because they got offended by something that Jesus said, Jesus was turning to his disciples and he says this. In John 6, 67, Jesus said to the 12 disciples, do you want to go away as well? And Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of god see peter had every opportunity to get offended and to go be with the crowd and be like no nah, i don't need that he had the opportunity to walk away but he restricted that and looked at jesus and was like where, where else where else would i go it's you and i've come to believe and to know to give all his faculties to god And as I think about that and the definitions that we just read, it caused me to ask myself, have I let my commitment to Jesus as Lord limit my freedom? Because in a very real way, it should. Galatians 5, when it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and some of y'all know where I'm going, one of them is (laughs) self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it begs the question, again, does my faith in Jesus limit my freedom? Does it restrict my freedom to get revenge? To take vengeance? does it limit my freedom to to hold on to unforgiveness? Or simply, does it limit my freedom to carry on with the bad attitude that I don't wanna be held accountable for? It's from the big things to the little things, but this is that difference, right? Crowd versus disciple. A disciple, we allow our faith in Jesus to limit what we have the freedom to do. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And at the same time too, does my commitment to Jesus limit my freedom that I have with my body? So that instead of giving into its cravings, I honor God by obeying his boundaries and instructions for it. And that applies to sexuality as much as it does to rest and our eating habits and the way that we treat or speak about our body. It's holistic. And mature disciples, they allow their commitment to Jesus to limit their freedom so that they can live in even greater freedom because of it. God is not a God who wants you trapped or squished in a box, he actually wants to set you free and he knows the way to do it is to walk in obedience with him. It's this incredible thing and that's the beauty and that's the hope that we are strengthened by is that where our faith, this is the moment where our faith transforms into a self-serving remedy that would let me do whatever I want to a rugged power that actually liberates me from the things that would cause destruction and death in my life. And it's beautiful. See, freedom, The greater freedom that we have that's on the other side of our first choice to limit is the freedom from apathy, the freedom from fear, the freedom from anxiety, the freedom from impatience so you and I together can learn to live and love others courageously and bravely and freely. It's a beautiful reality that we get to walk into so just know that as we make this decision to limit in this way, there is more than we could ever imagine on the other side with Jesus. And you know, I used to think that the difference between disciples and crowds was super black and white, either or. I got to be honest, the longer that I walk with Jesus, the more that I'm realizing that it can be both and. I can be both a disciple and a crowd at the very same time. And I'm learning that the sooner that I acknowledge that, the sooner I see opportunities to grow and get unstuck in different areas. And hear me out, it's the black and white mentality that tells us you are either a disciple and totally killing it, or you a crowd and you need a whole life remodel. But I wanna give us a second option. Maybe we're both. And for me that's look like in different areas and in, in one area like finances I'm a disciple I'm tithing and I'm living generously and I'm giving and then on the other hand my relationships I've been a crowd holding on to frustration letting little annoyances build up and instead of taking those things to God and forgiving or getting over myself and moving on I hold on to them. See there's this duality where you can be both and and the moment you start to acknowledge that is the moment that you actually start to be really spiritually honest. And the beautiful thing about that moment is that when you do, you open yourself up to receive encouragement from God and others about the areas where you're growing. And that is oftentimes the thing that gives you hope and determination to tackle the areas that you need to bring back under Jesus. It's the ability for a friend to look at you in the eyes and say, man, Be encouraged, I see the way you've grown in prayer. I see in the way that you used to be so quick to get angry in this way, but I see the way that you use your mouth to carry love and patience for other people. They're gonna speak life into you and that gives you the hope to look at this area and be like, okay, maybe I can face it with Jesus. Maybe I can face it in the context of neighborhood groups and with relationships that hold me down. And it's it's a hard thing to face, right? Being both and. But I really hope today that we can take an honest look about where we are in these areas. You know what, I'm not sure what it is for you, maybe it's um, for you acknowledging your both could look like, you acknowledge that you're really good at carrying joy, but then maybe you're a crowd in your willingness to deal with and properly address your disappointment and your hurt and your pain. Maybe you're an incredible disciple at building the church and serving every Sunday, yet a crowd because you've lost your urgency to, the, to see those who do not know Jesus come to Christ. It's an incredible thing, and it's actually quite humbling and very protecting to realize that struggling in one area doesn't negate growth in one, and growth in one area doesn't make you immune to immaturity in another. So if we can look at our lives and ask ourselves, where am I growing as a disciple and in the same breath? And where am I stuck in neutral as a crowd? We are gonna open ourselves up to something so good that I believe is gonna cause us to become a healthier, more mature community that attracts people to the gospel of Jesus. And that's what we just sang about, right? Revival. And our goal in this is to always be identifying to always be surrendering these areas. We don't just wanna admit and stay there. We wanna identify and surrender so that we continue to grow in freedom. And as we wrap up here with the third point, it's a good one, I ain't gonna lie. I'm a little biased maybe, no. The third point and the way that we actually develop a faith of rugged power is by shifting our focus from future relief to the present power of God at work within us. And I know that this can sound really hard because sometimes we feel like if we take our light, our eyes off the light at the end of the tunnel, we'll never make it out. If we take our eyes off the light at the end, we'll get lost in the midst of the darkness. But I'm here to tell you today that God is with you every single step of the way. And he's waiting for your invitation to meet you where you are so that his light can illuminate the place where you're standing today and to fill it with his presence. And I can say that with confidence because I've seen him do it. There's a difficult season that my family went through when I was a sophomore in college and my mom especially was facing the hardest parts of it. And at the time her and I's relationship wasn't in the best place because I'd allowed my heart to harden towards her. And even after I gave my life to Jesus as a freshman in college, it wasn't really something I had surrendered or faced just yet. And so when this season came, I found it hard to be compassionate towards her. I remember nights I'd be talking with her on the phone while I was having a separate conversation with God. Angrily telling him that I didn't want to answer her calls. I'd be on the phone then confessing and repenting in my head for my lack of compassion. I even yelled at God for putting me in that position because I was thinking, how can I help her carry her pain when I can't even hold up beneath the weight of my own? And then this remarkable thing happened. God spoke through his word. And while I kept crying out again for things to change and accusing God of being mean because I couldn't understand how he'd let me go through that he spoke straight through the word and it was right out of Paul's own experience in 2nd Corinthians and I love the timing of God because this is what was preached to us last weekend 2nd Corinthians twelve eight through 10 says three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in your weakness Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And after that moment, when I looked to God and stopped focusing on what I felt I needed and the relief I wanted, things changed. Mind you, my pain didn't go away things for our family only got harder for a while but my shift my focus shifted from the relief I needed to the grace that God was giving me to show up for my mom and my family my focus shifted from my despair over how long that season would last to how God was actually redeeming the situation before it was even over by using it to soften and restore my heart to my mom talk about the loving kindness of God that's what we that's what we don't miss out on when we get to shift that focus and open our perspective to what God is doing and learning to shift my focus from the future, AKA curb my craving for control to God's power working in me in the present is something that I have to practice every single day. It's as much for the everyday moments as it is for the big and the devastating or joyful ones as well. And I learned this lesson in an even simpler way last April when I broke my foot you know, I had just gotten my first cast put on and I was spending time with Jesus in the morning, journaling until I got distracted by imagining how sick it was gonna be when I was out of the cast. <laughs> Does anybody else do that? You're like imagining what that next season is gonna be like. And then all of a sudden I snapped back and I'm like, oh right, I'm in the chair and the cast is, the cast is still there. And I, I was getting lost in, in how good it was gonna be to get out of that sucky season. And when I snapped back the devotional that I was in that day a year ago, shared this quote and asked this question above all, trust in the slow work of God. Trust and give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you. And then it poses this question, how can you trust the slow work of God today? And, yeah, I love that you guys laugh because you probably know my response. But as I look back at my journal, my answer was, for me to trust in the slow work of God today means to think more about today than I do tomorrow especially since I just broke my foot and got a gas and we'll be in it for the next month. It's so easy for me to be consumed by thoughts of getting there, of the end of this month, of the end of this season, but to trust the slow work of God means humbling myself to see the importance of today and asking God not questions about the future or sharing imaginations of it, but first asking him what he wants for today. And it birthed this new prayer in my life that I've held so fast to and always need to come back to. And it sounds like this, God, what do you not want me to miss out on today? I lay down my fixation with the next season and my despair of never getting out of this one and ask you to soften my heart to your purpose and plans. What blessings, lessons, or ways to serve others are you inviting me to give myself to today? C3LA, our ability to trust the slow work of God yields the fruit of peace, of presentness with others, and a rest from no longer having to play God, but instead reaps the fruit of humility that invites him to direct us. Furthermore, our ability to acknowledge God and what he's doing in our lowest, darkest moments produces in us the character to endure, to not get shipwrecked, and it even births joy despite the pain. Recently, Pastor Amar and I were praying together for you guys, we were praying for our church, C3LA, and we were praying for the people that we knew were walking through difficult seasons. We were talking with one another about the paradox of joy in the midst of grief and suffering. We were grappling with how to reach for joy in those moments and began praying for our church to experience it no matter what they were facing. We were both acknowledging how grief and joy are not mutually exclusive. When she said this beautiful thing that I wrote down and I will never forget, you guys wanna know what she said? She said, joy is not a dismissal of the situation. It's an acknowledgement of God's presence. Joy is not a denial of present pain. It's a remembrance of God. And I won't ever be the same after hearing that. And it reminds me of the power of prayer and community over and over again, that our life will always be stronger and better and more rooted when we're in community and praying together. And so I wonder what it is for you today, that the power of prayer could change forever. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.